Welcome back to the programme. Now, my first guest in studio this morning has led a very interesting life, uh, which she was ahead of her times, as we will uh, will establish. Uh, she became vegetarian long before it was all the rage uh, and brings skills learned abroad home to Dublin to open one of Ireland's longest-running vegetarian restaurants, Cornucopia. Deirdre McCafferty, you're very welcome Thank indeed. You. Thank you, uh, you headed off at one stage and you ended up working in Boston for somebody called Hippocrates Health Institute. That's, ver- that's very true. I was in Trinity from 1971 to 75 and in 1975 headed off with my soon-to-be husband, Neil, who was from uh, Derry in Northern Ireland. Yeah. And we were really students in Boston. And then I, I was teaching exercise classes and I became interested in nutrition and I came across this place, the Hippocrates Health Institute. And I ended ended up working there, as did Neil, for a number of years and we returned to Ireland in 1984. And at that stage, we were vegetarians. Right. And did you become vegetarian through that institute? We did. Or had you an inclination one way or the other? No inclination before that. I was very, we were very politically active, probably sort of like today's student activists thinking that the problems were with the world and we would change the world to be a better place, which I still believe in. But then it was sort of turned inward. The eye was turned inward. What could you do yourself to take personal responsibility so that you could change your diet, be more environmentally aware, have more or sympathy or c- compassion for animals. So there was a lot of what's becoming mainstream stream now yeah. taught back then there many, many years ago. OK. And what role did Neil play? Neil was growing. I remember some of the sprouts and wheatgrass and all that kind of thing in in the institute. I was running an education programme. It was a holistic education programme, but it gave us a great basis in nutrition, in not so much business, but we sort of then had an area that we knew we were going to concentrate in, which was holistic health. Right. We had a sort of a, a pathway then and we thought we'll go back to Ireland. We were just approaching our 30s, having spent a decade in Boston. And then it seemed a practical thing to open up a health food shop, which right. was Cornucopia. And that was in the middle of a recession. It was. I remember at Shannon Airport, I was so excited to be home. I told the guy and he said, what are you doing coming back to Ireland? Everybody else is leaving. I told the guy in the customs. Yeah. <laughs> he said, everybody else is leaving. But um, our parents were so glad to have us back. They really helped us get established. They lent us some money to get going, my parents. And so it was. It, we were very welcome home from our parents' point of view. Right. And I think I wanted to have babies and be close to mammy as a lot of girls do. So it was. And also, very importantly, we got into a site on Wicklow Street that you wouldn't usually have a chance of getting in. I would have thought horrendously expensive. Not a we didn't have to spend a penny getting in. They were practically begging for tenants at the time. And we, I mean, I think there might have been a little bit of negotiation because we had no business experience yeah. or anything. But we got the end of a lease, which we were later able to renew, to 19 Wicklow Street. We're now 19 and 20 Wicklow Street. But at the time we got a ground floor and basement. Right. Yes. And it was a shop. It was a dry cleaners and shoe repair. And we opened up a health food shop. We had a small cafe at the back. 
Right. So, yeah, and immediately it took off. I think people had been travelling and they were interested in foods like hummus and tabbouleh and different things, you know, Indonesian curries, I think we had, and or salads that were a bit interesting. And Neil was very talented. That was our number one selling point. He was a very talented cook, as it happened, and chef. Right, yeah. yes. Yes, And 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 then it progressed from there and you... But that now you you talk about health and all of that, and tragically he died terribly yes, young. Yes, Neil died terribly young, Marion. Absolutely, at the age of forty, he got a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer, and he lived from for just just short of three months from when he was diagnosed. It was a huge shock to him, principally, and obviously to me. And luckily, we had two small children already, so I'm really happy about that. And luckily, the business was running seven years. So that was very tough on Neil principally, but tough on me also coming to terms with mortality and all that that involved. And also that, you know, our health food lifestyle was no guarantee against something as devastating as that. It was a real lesson in in humility. Because sometimes there are crazy claims made about, you know, food and cancer and like ludicrous things that somehow or another it's your fault you got cancer because you weren't eating the right well, foods. Well it certainly taught me that that's not so and that there are so many factors and life is so complex and the health of the human body is so complex. I, However I carried on with my business and my own healthy lifestyle and I do know that statistically one is less inclined to get cancer on a vegetarian diet. Statistically it doesn't mean that there aren't exceptions to the rule. Of or there weren't other factors involved. So, yes, yeah, so it was great. So the business has thrived over the years and I brought up my children and it was And how difficult out. was it for you to take over, as it were, on your own? Before Neil passed away, he was very keen that I give it up before he got really ill and then he got too ill very quickly to really even comprehend what was happening and I had a very good advisor at the time an accountant who said Deirdre don't give it up your children want things don't sit at home you know yeah. you, you need to get out there and use au pairs and all that and that was very good advice and so I carried on and I had very very good staff I still have very good staff we'll be meeting Tony Kyo here shortly our head yes. chef but I have very good staff and, and I had au pairs and I had my parents and I find that when people are needed, they will perform. People like to be needed and they like to be doing a really strong role. So people rallied around me. Right. And I was very lucky in that way. In what that age I, were the kids? The kids were four and five. So they were tiny. Yeah. yeah. Just maybe going on to six for the eldest and just past five for the youngest. And very tough on them, my two beautiful daughters, Roshin and Darina. And, uh, you know, so it wasn't, I won't say for one second it wasn't easy. It was extremely challenging, but I grew as a person, for sure. And they did too. Right. They did too. And at a certain point you decided to buy the place next door. Oh, I wish that were so, Marion. I bought the lease. Ah, right. Yeah. (laughs) I bought the lease, which was quite expensive, from the sheepskin shop, which was next door. And I was very lucky to get it um, from the man who owned the lease there. He had a tragedy in his own family, which he decided that he was going to pass on the lease. We did it privately. And for that reason, I was able to extend the seating into and I had planned it from maybe 2002, 2003. So this really, really helped with the establishment of Cornucopia. And we've been renovating it over the last decade 
maybe since 2009 and we it took me until 2009 to actually get the money the legalities worked out the planning permission all of that but I'm not somebody who ever stops Right. I just keep going. So the whole place is a restaurant. Now. The whole place is a restaurant and it's um has many seats in it, about 150 seats. Wow. And it's still self-service. It's very casual, but we can do fancy dinners too. And we're, you know, so it's been it has become quite established and suddenly it's become very popular. The type How of diet we have. How did you get have. established? How did we get? Like, 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 how did you get known? I think word of mouth originally. We're talking about 1980s Ireland. Yeah. So it was very much you would have some, maybe you would advertise in some magazines. Um, at the time, it was before the internet. Nowadays, obviously, it's very important to be on social media. And obviously our new cookbook, the Cornucopia, the green cookbook is hugely, has put us hugely on the map again. I think you need to reinvent yourself all the time, as we all do. (laughs) And um, this this cookbook that Tony and Aoife, Tony Kyo and Aoife Carrigan, she's a food book writer, wrote is, is, I think, is we won an award for the cookbook of the year at Unpost Awards, which was fabulous. And uh, I think this has probably refocused on us. You you got showbizy types visiting you. Oh, we did. In the very early days, I was telling your researcher yesterday, she was asking me what type of people came in. Were they all hippies? And I said, no, there were no hippies. I didn't remember ever seeing a hippie in Cornucopia. To be honest, though, we were often portrayed as that. So I remember Jim Sheridan coming in. I remember the singer from the Golden Horde coming in. I remember oh, I mentioned them to her yesterday. Now I'm having a hard time recalling. Van Morrison. Van Morrison used to come in. People were, you know, people, cool people came in. Let's say it was cool. Right. So I remember um, there was another actress, a British actress who was in To Sir With Love. She came in. Lulu. Uh, Lulu came in. Yeah. And I remember she was really funny and had a great crack, you know. I remember yeah. laughing with her and with Neil. So we were, yeah, we were definitely a place that people sought out and they liked the atmosphere and right. all of that. So it right. was great. Yeah, yeah, it was terrific. Now, what do you think of the drive towards vegan I think that it's interesting. I think that um, it has a couple of different drivers. One is, and now within Cornucopia, I just want to pre-curse what I'm saying, is we're just about food. We don't have any political agenda. You come in, you could be dripping in furs or you could be whatever, have a butcher's bag with you and nobody will say a word to you. It's all about good food and good food is good food whether it's meat food or vegetarian food right. so we never push across but behind the scenes in the world in general I think because of social media and maybe Netflix there's a huge awareness of the cruelty involved to animals in their mass production for cheap food and I think young people really cottoned onto this and then there is a sort of another um, interesting philosophy coming around that we don't have the right to cause we don't, as humans, have the right to cause suffering to other species, particularly, I suppose, as people broke away from Judeo-Christianity, where we were sort of given the right to, you know, do whatever we want to the planet. So I think there's been a big shift away from that and people are thinking about it. And then, so the veganism was driven by the, the rights of other species. And I think it's really taken off from an animal rights point of view. But then another wave has come along of 
environmental awareness. And these two have combined into the perfect storm to say, no, we have to change the way we live in the planet, not just food wise, but in many, many ways with waste and all of that. But I think people then started developing ways to make plant based foods really tasty and really nutritious. Do you have any sympathy for the farmers? I certainly do. I have huge sympathy. I'm in business myself, Marion. I could imagine if it suddenly became so unpopular, if there was a mad bean disease, I've always thought, or something like that. Yeah. How, and, and I have, we're a second generation business, how tough that would be. But I know the world is quite harsh and I know that things change. And I know that, uh, I remember when my husband died, Neil, I thought, if something doesn't adapt, it dies. I remember being struck by that. Even a plant has to adapt quickly. I thought, Deirdre, you've got to adapt to these new circumstances or you're going to not survive. And in the same way, we have to adapt to what the demand is. We know we live in a capitalist system. If you don't make money, you're gone. If the farmers don't make money, they can only be supported for a while. So so there needs to be a change towards growing vegetables, growing nuts. We need nut trees in Ireland. We can't be importing all of this stuff. We need to give people proper margins. The farmers need to get proper margins. Food needs to be sustainable. There's a huge amount of changing has to be done. And just, okay, there may be new markets like in China, demand for meat and dairy. that, That could prop things up for a while. But eventually, I think that we need to go more towards back to the sort of growing of vegetables that we used to do. I believe that we don't, the meat industry in Ireland is not actually that old. It's not centuries old. I don't think we did it in the 19th century. We might have done it for the latter part of the 20th century. But there needs to be a shift away. That's in my opinion. And hopefully it can be subsidised <laughs> because I think it needs to be subsidised. By whom? I, I'm, well, there are subsidies, aren't there, for meat? the moment. Yeah, maybe the same. Common agricultural policy. Yes, maybe there needs to be something like that. But a a huge shift to growing more plant based foods, I would think. Um, (laughs) Here's a a caller in from Terenure. I hate vegetarian food. I hate vegetarians. I love cornucopia. (laughs) Thank you. That's a that's a strange one, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, but I think we don't where we don't preach to anybody. Um, that's the point. It can be very preachy yes. and holier than thou. There's nothing and more off-putting yeah. than somebody who feels they have the answer. And I don't believe in doctrinaire approaches. I, th- I grew up in an Ireland, I felt, you know, I was part of that rebellion in the 70s against strict orthodoxies <laughs> without naming any. Uh, you know, I would have grown up where I was sort of followed to make sure I went to mass. <laughs> As a teenager, I think a lot of people can relate to that. And the last thing I'm going to do is visit that sort of orthodoxy and anybody else. With my own children, I said, look, you can be vegetarian if you want to. You know, we'll be vegetarian at home. Does everybody like that? And when you eat out at parties, go ahead. And, you know, they both of my daughters decided separately to become vegetarian, but it was never imposed on them. I was and never did imposed. You, did you give them meat as they grew up or fish? No, no, I didn't at home. But if they were out at a party and there were sausage rolls or something, I, I said, listen, eat what you want, experiment. Yeah. You know, if you, it's up to each person to make a decision. It's a, it's a very personal thing to become a vegetarian or a vegan. It's, it's a huge decision. 
Yes. It's a huge decision and it's not that difficult once you make it like anything else. If you're comfortable with it, everybody else will be, to be honest. Right. OK. Another one says, um, 15 or 20 years ago, I shared a table with Tony Bennett in Cornucopia. Of course, I pretended I didn't recognise him. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> yes, wonderful Tony Bennett. Yeah, do you remember that? I don't, but I'm sure we had so many people in. I was probably in the kitchen <laughs> that day. Right. Um, so do you see the trend now going completely in that direction? Uh, that's a like big... I'm thinking about the farmers, we saw them out campaigning this week. It's their livelihood. I kind of believe in slow change, Marion. I think it sticks better. I think it grows deeper roots. I think if people go more towards eating plant-based foods and that's considered an option, mm. that's probably a more realistic way without upending the whole economy. I mean, if we all went vegan overnight, I think it would probably have detrimental effects. And yeah. There wouldn't be the supply. Right. <laughs> We'd be far too busy. <laughs> right. OK, well, we've been just joined now by your by your chef. Um, good morning to you and you're very welcome. Now, you are, ve- she's vegetarian, you're vegan. Yes, that's What's right, What's the difference? Um, a vegan now won't eat any animal products. So there's no dairy, no eggs, no cheese, no honey. And um, there's other products we look out for as well, like certain no numbers. No honey? Yeah. yeah. What's well, wrong with honey? Well, honey's made by bees. So yeah. anything that's made by an animal, um, a vegan will um, avoid. Oh, I thought it was anything that was of animal. But should the bees have the honey naturally? Yeah, but I suppose it's, it's, a, it's a product that's been made by the bee. So that's why pe- uh, vegans would abstain from it. But um, there's plenty of alternatives now. Any agave syrup, maple syrup, very, very similar. You know. And tell me, how did you arrive at this decision? What, what, what did your mammy feed you when you were growing uh, up? I grew up on a very traditional diet, Marion. I'm from, I'm from Dublin, so um, coddles, stews, um, the Irish salad, I'm sure you may remember that What's one. What's the Irish salad? Um, it was the rolled up ham, the slice of beetroot, the iceberg lettuce. Or no, butterleaf no, lettuce, butterleaf, but, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. The tomato and the, um, the, the, the um, salad sliced, cream. And the sliced egg. And the sliced egg, yeah, that's right. So I grew up on that kind of diet, which was, it was fine at the time. And I think everybody was eating that way. Um, so when I grew up, I didn't really know too much about food. In fact, I think I thought pasta was a vegetable until I was about 15. Right. Um, but that's just the way it was then. And then when I was um, 18, 19, then I decided to become vegetarian. Why? Um, I always felt it was kind of wrong eating other living things. I just, it always irked me, you know. Um, so I stopped eating meat when I was about 19. And um, it was fine. It, a bit period of um, adjustment where I was living on cornflakes and cheese sandwiches for, uh, for quite a while. nice and healthy. <laughs> it wasn't really. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then how did that develop on? Um, well, I was vegetarian then for, I suppose, 20 years and I only really went vegan there about four years ago um, when I turned 40, around that, around that, that time. Um, I was kind of moving that direction for a while and then was around 40, I just, I just decided not to eat any more um, dairy or eggs. And do you take supplements? One supplement, um, which is missing in the vegan diet, which is uh, vitamin B12. Um, now, vitamin B12, now it can be found in certain seaweeds in small amounts and it's also pr- present in the soil. Um, but one of the reasons that it could be on the seaweed, though, is the presence of like dead um, sea creatures like mollusks and stuff. So the jury's out on that one. Um, and also it's present in the soil. 
Um, so when animals eat B12, it goes into the animal's body. And then when people eat animals, they get the B12 from directly from the animal. Right. But as a, as a vegan, because you're not eating the animal, you're missing that particular uh, nutrient. So just take it as a supplement. Right. It's very handy to get. Okay. I didn't know, know if I gave your f- full name, which is uh, Tony Q. And I know that you were involved in the in the book. Yes, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, now, is Cornucopia now exclusively vegan? No, we're about 99% vegan, I'd say. 98, 99%. Um, we still have milk in the coffees and we still have um, some egg products in the morning for breakfast and we still have the occasional, well, we still have non-vegan quiche on a couple of days a week. We've recently started trialling a vegan quiche, which is, um, it seems to be selling very well. What's a, what's a vegan quiche? Um, it's very similar. Um, <coughs> the pastry now, instead of using butter, we use, um, there's a really good margarine product at the moment um, called Naturally. Um, not to be name dropping products, but it's very good. Um, it's got very, very similar properties to butter. So we use that then with some flour, um, a drop of alcohol, which stops the gluten formation and that makes the pastry base. And then for the filling then, we use a mixture of um, tofu blended with some uh, chickpea flour and um, black salt. Black salt now has got a very, um, it's a sulfur salt. It's very popular in Indian cuisine. It's, there's a few spices the salt is cooked with and um, it gives a very sulfurous taste, similar to egg, similar to boiled egg kind of taste. So black salt, um, chickpea flour, tofu, um, soya milk, and we have another ingredient, nutritional yeast and some mustard. So you puree that together and that kind of st- that works as the um, the egg custard. And then we just mix in some, um, like I use vegan cheese, uh, some leeks, some tomatoes, flaked almonds and bake it for about, about, about an hour. And it's very, very similar to a regular quiche. Um, now, you would know the difference. You would actually, when you eat it, you go, mm, it's a bit different, but it's not too far off. Right. Is that the point? Is that the point to make a taste like... Meat food, if you know um, what I mean. In, in some ways, yes, and in some ways, no. It's a kind of a complex question. Um, I think that I think people, a lot of people, when they change their diet, when they move towards a vegetarian or vegan diet, they do it later in life. Um, and I suppose they grew up eating certain types of food. And when they're making those transitions, they want to still have a reference to the food they grew up eating. So it's a sense of provenance, really, I guess. People are kind of linking back to foods of their childhood. Um, they like those formats. Right. And so a vegan steak as opposed to a regular steak, is, is good for a transitory period. What is a vegan steak? Um, vegan steak, now we've actually got one in the cookbook there. Um, we've made one with, um, the one in the cookbook is made from seitan, which is... Um, which, yes, I re- read that in yeah. the brief. T- tell me, what is it? It's a high gluten flour. And um, basically, um, high gluten flours were discovered by um, Buddhists back in the, I think it was the 8th century. And they found that you could actually extract the gluten directly from the flour. And they called it the wheat meat. And then you can use that combined with, a, with some wet ingredients and you can kind of, then you braise it, fry it, bake it. But it's got a, a texture very similar to meat because you're, you're basically using the protein directly from the wheat. Right. And it's got a very, very similar texture. So to make um, a vegan steak, um, I pureed that particular uh, flour with some tofu, um, a mixture of certain spices, um, things like mustard, um, allspice, which is like pimento berries, um, nigella puree it together and then fry it off and make a balsamic glaze. It's very, very similar in texture and appearance. Right. Um, and and when you started off, did you want the food 
to look like the food you were reared on. No, this is a new, this would be a new cuisine. The traditional, the food that Neil and I would have started with was very much more traditional vegetarian, more um, beans, nuts, seeds, grains. It would have been a lot of more like that. And um, so, you know, you would have a bean curry or that. Now, we still have that food and we wouldn't really have been doing what I call faux meats. Um, Yes. and, And a lot of vegetarians traditionally didn't like that it's become much more on trend now to create these sort of meat substitutes and I mean I have to say they have they have their place and I think they're particularly very good at Christmas or at times when we would traditionally have had much more animal based foods right or even for breakfast and that they're very nice yeah is Christmas you also do takeaway food we do for this Christmas now we have Tony makes a whole array of dishes that can be ordered and collected on either the 23rd or on Christmas Eve the 24th. And, and what kinds of things well, are they? Well the seitan steak is one of them. We obviously have a very traditional nut loaf. I'll pass over to Tony he can speak yeah. about the other ones. <laughs> yeah we have a traditional nut loaf which is really popular and um, that's made with um, we have that's a mushroom and lentil based nut loaf with um, um, those um, hazelnuts, cashew nuts, uh, walnuts uh, cranberries <laughs> And we Sounds that. like a plum pudding. Oh, yeah, it does actually, doesn't it? Yeah, and that's very popular. And we serve that way. I make a mushroom and parsnip gravy for that, which is like portobello mushrooms, parsnip and white wine. And then we do a gratin, which is made with um, baby chantonet carrots, um, Brussels sprouts, braised fennel. And that's in a cashew white wine cream. And we make a beetroot crust for that, like a beetroot rosti crust. Um, the other dish we do, which is really popular, we make a cheesecake, a savoury cheesecake. It has a kind of an oat and almond base. Um, the topping then is made from, again, just cranberries in there. Um, it's kind of like a vegan cream cheese I make. There's, and that's made up with like the blended sauerkraut with some tofu and a few bits and pieces. What does tofu taste like? Um, tofu is very neutral. Um, tofu is actually, it's made from soya milk. Um, so when you when you boil soya milk and then you curdle it, very similar to when you're making cottage cheese with regular milk. Right. You use a curdling agent and you separate the curds from the whey. And then the curds then are pressed and it's quite neutral, but you can add lots of flavours to it. Does neutral mean bland? Yes, there's no, it's no taste, but it's a great backdrop for flavour because you can marinate it, you can do so much with it. It's really versatile. But you can then puree it as well. You can puree it, you can add things to it. It's, it's a really fantastic ingredient. Now, you have come in with three suggestions to us uh, for a vegan Christmas. Um, and I think what happens a lot now is people visiting your house you know, if you're a traditional house like we would be meat eaters, but somebody comes that's vegetarian, it's testing. Yes, it can be. But um, I think it's getting a lot easier. I think in the last few years, I mean, like if you go to Tesco's even now or any of the supermarkets, there's a huge array of choice now, huge array of choice. If you go to the frozen section, I think there's like four of the tall freezers full of frozen stuff. You can even buy like um, roasts and bakes, all kinds of things. Um the chill section, there's loads of stuff, loads of vegetables um, and there's loads of online tutorials on how to put stuff together. Um, so it's not as daunting as it once was. Right. You know? Now, you are going to suggest uh, a three course meal uh, starting with cauliflower. Yes. Um, now, that particular dish, now there's lots of variations of that, of that particular dish around at the moment, um, but it's very, very simple to make. And cauliflower, now when you, there's different ways of preparing cauliflower, but the best way to prepare it is to roast it or to bake it. You get the best flavour out of it. It takes on a completely different character when it's baked. Really? Yeah, it's really nice. So um, I bake it in a batter. Nodding here beside. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> the joys of cauliflower. Absolutely. 
Absolutely, Tony. But I'm 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 allowing Tony carry on there. Yeah. So the cauliflower, anyway, we we batter it, we bake it, and then we make a barbecue sauce, and we coat it in the barbecue sauce and put it back in the oven. So it's like the idea, be like it's kind of sticky chicken wings, but instead of chicken wings, it's cauliflower wings. Right. And then we'd serve it then with um. There is a basil avocado sauce there, which is really simple to make: fresh basil, avocado, lime juice. Um, I think there's a little bit of silken tofu in there, and or actually just coconut and that's milk all in, in, that the, in the cookbook. Is it's it? all in the cookbook, yeah. Right, the green cookbook, and yeah. The green cookbook, and then we puree that together, and then that's basically the base. So that goes into plate. Is that your starter? That's the starter, yeah. And I just I chose these dishes because they're all quite easy to make. Right, very um, good. Um, so the other one then is the braised cabbage with the seitan steak. Now the the, the seitan steak you can if you don't only make seitan steak you can use like a stuffed mushroom or you can use um, a wedge of tofu, um, a wedge of tempeh. Um, What's what, what? Oh, it's tempeh. Um, it's like um, a fermented soybean product. Right. Um, the soybeans are pressed together with a mould and then they kind of set into kind of a block. But um, you can steam that and marinate it and then fry it off. Um, again, tempeh is available widely now in supermarkets, um, health food stores. It's very easy to get. Okay. And um, and then it's on a red cabbage base. So the red cabbage is braised with um, Moroccan spices, harissa spices, which is basically red pepper, chilli, a few bits and pieces and uh, baked in the oven and then served with the steak and then for the dessert then chosen an aquafaba mousse so aquafaba um, do you know when you buy a carton of chickpeas yeah and then you know the liquid you pour off that goes down the sink um, somebody discovered a few years ago that that liquid could actually be foamed up and treated like the same way and works the same way as egg white it foams up exactly the same so you can make meringues you can make pavlovas mousses all kinds of things out of it so and when you foam up the um, aquafaba mix yeah. just adding a little bit of sugar and then you need something um, like uh, something acidic to stabilise it so cream of tartar citric acid it'll foam up and it'll hold its shape um, so that's what I've done there foams it up to hold its shape with a little bit of xanthan gum yeah. which makes it a bit more stable then mix some chocolate through it put it in the fridge and it sets the chocolate mousse. But in the recipe there, there's macerated um, berries and there's also a kind of a, a vanilla cream. But it's something you can put together in a glass and you'll have it made in like literally 20 minutes. Right. So each recipe there, they're all very time, they're like, very easy to make. Okay. Now these three, which is the starter, the main and the pudding, we will put up on our website, Um Now, caller was on, oh dear Lord, no honey, it's natural for bees to produce. We're not killing them for the honey. This is why vegans get a bad name. Yes, um, and there is some truth in that. Um, and I think that um, bee populations are suffering terribly at they the moment. They are. Terribly at the moment. So in, uh, there is the argument of saying that by producing more bees and keeping more bee- bees alive and more beekeepers, we're actually increasing the bee population. So um, to be honest, um, as a vegan though, I personally, I'd rather abstain from any products that um, animals produce. But um, I don't judge. I don't feel, I think everyone's got their own approach to life, right. their own approach to diet. Um, I really think that it's, yeah, I'm very, very open. The philosophy of cornucopia is that people can graduate, maybe just introducing more plant-based yeah. foods. Yeah, exactly. And you don't have to go, the whole, one doesn't have to go the, the, know, whole, the whole thing. Yeah. The whole thing. So yeah. it's, it's where you're comfortable along the, the, the yes, because there was a caller in there to say she doesn't like the word vegetarian, she doesn't like the word vegan, because uh, all sounds superior and preachy. Why not just aim to progressively eat less meat? Well, because the farmers will shoot you if you do that. They don't, they don't approve of this. Another caller says Marion soya products are destroying the trees in the Amazon. Well, that's, that's not actually, there's not really that much truth in that. In fairness, they are destroying the, the, some of the 
some of the land, but um, a lot of that land, a lot of that soy has been used to actually feed livestock. That's why it's been grown in such oh, large right. quantities. Right. Uh, lovely to hear Deirdre on the radio. She's one of the original whole fooders in the country. I think intelligent and warm human being too. I have a huge respect for how she picked herself up after Neil's death and was constantly stayed on top of her game. Uh, best wishes to her from an old buddy in the same uh, sector, Erica at the Hopsack. Oh, oh, that's very nice. Yeah. Thank you, Erica. That's beautiful. Listen, th- thanks to you both. It's food <laughs> for thought for all of us. Uh, and uh, well, I don't say Happy Christmas before the eighth of December, but <laughs> well, well done. Oh, yeah. well done. Yeah, that, that's, okay, that's, that's we'll take a, a break.